This episode is dedicated to our friend and fellow podcaster Sean Ingle, who passed away on December 16th, 2015. Sean was a member of the Two True Freaks Network, hosting the show Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, as well as co-hosting Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast, Walking Dead Wednesday, The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Who True Freaks, and Listen to the Prophets, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Those of us fortunate enough to have recorded with him or met him in person knew him to be a kind and supportive man, and we will all miss him greatly. He is survived by his wife and children, and our thoughts and prayers go out to them during this sad time. Rest in peace, Sean. We'll never forget you. Hey, Charlie. Oh, what's with the dark glasses? i never seen a tuna in dark glasses. You don't see tunas with cigars every day either. Oh, come on. What's with the shades? I'm going up to the surface for a look around. Like the sun hides my eyes, you know? Ooh, what's up there? A star-kissed tuna scout. A star-kissed tuna scout? Get it, kid. It never make the weight. Besides, it ain't what you are, it's who you know that counts. You gotta have connections. You got connections? My brother-in-law. Starkist took him last month. I'm sure he put in a word for me. Hey, what did I tell you? They sent for me. All right, cut the comedy. Sorry, Charlie. Only the finest prime tuna is good enough for Starkist. More people like the taste of Starkist than any other tuna. Try it and see why. Uh, tell them Charlie sent you. <laughs> There's a fragrance that's here today, and they call it Charlie. A different fragrance that thinks your way, yeah, they call it Charlie. Kind of young, kind of now, Charlie. Kind of free, kind of wow, Charlie. Kind of fragrance that's gonna stay, and it's here now, Charlie. Charlie by Revlon, a most original fragrance. Hello. Ah, Captain Dreyfus. <laughs> Chief Inspector Dreyfus. Former Chief Inspector <laughs> of the Ciote. What's up, man? Ah, little of this, little of that. Some good, some bad. Life in general. What's happening? You getting lazy on me? Getting lazy? What do you mean getting lazy? Uh, I don't feel like doing a book today. I want to be like Bill. I'm jealous of him. He never does books. I mean, the last umpteen times I've bothered to to do the work and and prep a book. We didn't make it to my books. I'm like, I'll just... (laughs) So you should have about 20 books prepped that you're just ready to do at at a moment's notice. Yeah, the problem is I file my stuff in a regular fashion, unlike some other people. What is with all these people that can't file their their books and have like a 20-year backlog of shit sitting around? I'm like, man, that would make me nuts. Yeah, I I mean, when I, when I was younger and I didn't have quite as many books, like when, say, I had maybe 2,000 books at one point, right. it was fun to put them in order. And like I almost wanted them to get all messed up so that I could spend a day fiddling with them 
it does get a little un- little unruly when you start talking about you know seven, eight, nine, ten thousand books. Though. Right. Yeah. So I I do understand how people get it out of order, and like like you and Bill have both I think uh, absorbed other people's old collections. Right. And I would imagine that's quite an undertaking if it's a collection of any size to to then meld it with your own books. You know, I mean, we only have so much space. So I know I find that the boxes fill up. And then if you get too many for a given series, now you got to move everything around to make room for it. You know? Right. So it's it, it, it ain't easy. I mean, it's a labor of love. But I do find that once, you know, like I said, when there were 2,000 or less books... It's just a fun <coughs> – I enjoyed the heck out of it. But right. when you start getting a, a much bigger number than that, it's fun in the beginning and the fun starts to wear off after a while. Right. So that's why people don't have their books in order. Plus, not everybody is anal retentive, as shocking as that seems because you would just think every comic collector is. <laughs> right. It's almost like it's part of the uh, the DNA. But, yeah, Whatever. You know what? The people who don't have them in good order, it's easy to go over to the house and just abscond with whatever you want. <laughs> this is true. But it's already quarter after ten, and we should start recording. Yeah. Oh, you guys have to work tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I got to be up by four thirty. Yikes! Do we yeah. want to still do this? Okay. All right. Bye. That's that's it. Thanks for joining us, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, Charlie? Good. How are you? Good, good, thanks. So the, the last time we had you on, Grayson was a bun in the oven. Yes. Now you're on again, and there's a new bun in the oven. <laughs> yes. Uh-oh. Congratulations. Seriously? Yeah. Congratulations, dude. Thanks. I didn't know you had it in you. No, no, Angie has it in her. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it's not there anymore. Um, <laughs> how you doing, man? Good, how are you? I'm doing great. Long time no talk to. Yes, it's been a while. Yeah, hey, Charlie. Uh, I, don't hey. Th- I, I don't think... Uh, have we been on a podcast before? No. Oh, so, hi. Right. Hey! <laughs> Charlie has successfully avoided you until now. Damn. I was doing so, so well. <laughs> so, if um, if this one is a boy, is it going to be named Bruce? Or oh, a girl yeah. will be named Barbara? Funny, funny. Yeah. No, actually, it's it definitely is a girl. And uh, she's going to be Megan Jane, so she'll be MJ. Oh. So. Uh-huh. We got a sp- We kind of have Spider Man. Ah, Charlie. I, now, obviously, you know we've met and everything. Have we ever done a show together? I can't remember. No, uh, I think we we were on for a second on some on a Superman thing, like a roundtable or something. Yeah, and then okay. uh, basically right about the time you got on, I had to go. So, <laughs> <laughs> was it something I said? Pretty much. No. <laughs> uh, are you still doing that Marvel read through, Scott? Uh, of the early stuff, yeah. I mean, I'm still picking away at it. Yeah, I mean, oh, okay. it, it's it's it, it's not so much a project as a, um, you know, it's it's on the iPad and you know I'll, I'll I'll read a book or two you know here and there. So it, it's not one of those things where I'm you know like okay I'm gonna have this done in you know X amount of time or whatever. It's it's just a, a casual just you know oh, okay cool here and there yeah. kind of thing. But yeah, I am still plugging away at it. I was just curious because I I. I tried doing that exact same thing. I got till about Spider-Man, uh, Amazing Spider-Man Two, right about there, <laughs> and then it was I like that FF One. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I just can't. I can't quite. Well, I did. I did all the FF up to there, and the Hulk, and the Ant-Man stuff, and Thor. 
And I just got about to that point, and then it was like I just couldn't go any further. I think I was an, it was an Ant-Man story that killed me. The Ant-Man ones are – they're bizarre because almost invariably – I find my, you know, I, I, I tend to think of myself cause here's what I'm doing at, at the moment is I'm, I've decided for, for brevity and just my own sanity. I, I can't tackle everything because the original intent of this project was to do a read through of Thor and Captain America. And then I expanded it to Iron Man and then I expanded it to the Hulk and then I expanded it to Fantastic Four. <laughs> So at, at this moment, it's basically, it's, it's FF, Journey into Mystery, Tales of Suspense, and Tales to Astonish. And that's it. Uh-huh. And I just hit the point where Spider-Man becomes a regular book and Avengers is about to start. And I've decided I am not going to, to go there. But eventually, I mean, the, la- the, la- the line, the Marvel line is going to expand to where it'll have a lot more books that I will want to follow. So I'm going to have to make some hard decisions at that mm, point mm-hmm. on how I'm going to do it. But I'm, I'm really enjoying it so far. But and like I say, I, I tend to think of myself, especially when it comes to this material, as being very forgiving of how stupid it can be sometimes. <laughs> But the Ant-Man stuff really pushes me right to the edge because almost invariably with the Ant-Man story, I find myself screaming, literally screaming at the iPad going, why the fuck did you shrink? There is no advantage for you being six inches tall in this story. Everything you've done, you could have done as a normal sized human being. Mm -hmm. Why the hell did you shrink? (laughs) It's ridiculous because he'll, he'll shrink himself down and then he has this stupid catapult thing that'll shoot him across town to where mm-hmm. he needs to meet up with the other people. And invariably he gets there and then he's like has to shout for their attention because he's too small to be heard or seen. <laughs> yes. And yes. I'm like, why the hell didn't you just get in your car and drive over there? And then <laughs> once the mission started, if you need to shrink, then you shrink then. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's really stupid. And it's aggravating that nobody ever calls him out on it. You know, in the in the universe itself, nobody ever stops to go, dude, why are you small right now? You know? Okay, granted I called you over here to pick this lock for me, but why did you arrive six inches tall? Why didn't you shrink once you got here? You could have shown you know? up you know in a suit, you could have put on your costume. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it it just makes me nuts. It really does, you know. I mean, I, I granted his thing is that he's he's ants. Okay, I get that. But become ant sized when it's important. Don't stay ant sized all ant sized all. There was a story where he was literally walking around the streets of New York ant sized, and through the whole thing, I'm cringe. I mean, my palms were sweating. I was waiting for somebody to step on him. <laughs> he's, he's walking like through the busy streets of Manhattan and all around him in every Jeez. panel were these giant feet. And I'm like, somebody, <laughs> dude, somebody's going to squish you dead. Why the hell are you ant sized for no reason? Uh, that's a Silver Age trope, though, because I know um, I, I've, I've seen Superman's books that do similar, not the exact same thing, but like there's a fire. Superman could blow it out, but no, he's going to squeeze water out of a rock. Because <laughs> just to use the powers, I guess I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow, it's crazy stuff. He's gonna squeeze water. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> it was a small fire. 
<laughs> so it was actually a match. Yeah, pretty much. I can't tell you the number of juicers that I have broken trying to <laughs> squeeze water out of a rock. <laughs> uh, Scott, that doesn't work. <laughs> Damn it, now you tell me. I've been misled. Uh. Missy was so mad at me. <laughs> What the hell did you do to the squeezer? Exactly. <laughs> what the hell are you doing? Well, Superman said. <laughs> the first one or two There was a fire in our bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you get the garden hose, you idiot? If Superman jumped out of a window, would you? Well, he could fly. You know, I can fly. <laughs> the first one or two was okay, but it was the other ten that just really put her over the edge. <laughs> ah, okay, so... <laughs> Okay, quick question for Paul then. On Yo. on your book, are we just doing the Defender story, or are we doing the uh, Doc, uh, Doctor Strange one too? I, th- I think we will pay lip service to the Doctor Strange one, but I didn't, I wasn't even planning on doing a recap of it. Okay. That's and great. the Submariner one's just a 1940s reprint, so I wasn't planning on doing anything other than mentioning that that's in there. Oh, good, because I skipped that part. <laughs> there there was the, homework. You didn't. Yeah. Well, I, no, I read the first story in the last. <laughs> there will like, be a quiz later. Oh well, that'll fail. <laughs> yeah, it's like like being back in school again. Yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anybody listening, if you haven't figured it out, this is back to the bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and as always, I'm joined by Charlie Nehemiah. Yay! Because <laughs> we're what? the only two with books today. That's right, y'all. Posers. <laughs> We're joined by Bookless Bill and Bookless Scott. Ah, I am not getting labeled with that epithet, okay? Wait a minute. Uh, wait a minute. We, are, we are Bookless Brethren. Bookless Bill and Scanless Scott. <laughs> <laughs> that way you keep the alliteration. That works. I will take that one. There you go. I will own that. <laughs> well, after uh, the episode I just edited, Bill, you can go, we are Bookless. Oh, did I do that? On the... Oh, okay. Yes. I, I just don't remember anything anymore. Because you oh. just, and you collectively, or selectively, or collectively, edit me. Oh, I, I, it's, it is incredibly selective. <laughs> every time, every time you, you make like a, a good, intelligent, well-reasoned point, that's on the cutting room floor. Of course. <laughs> Obviously, Before we yeah, go any good. further, I want to practice my Jerry Dandridge impression and go, Hello, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have no idea who that is. <laughs> it's it's, it's okay, because that makes two of us. Somebody <laughs> out there will It vaguely it. sounds familiar. Oh, Charlie. Uh, who, oh wait, 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 wait. No, is that fr- that's not from My Three Sons, is it? Nope. Oh, okay. I'm not going to tell you. Somebody out there will get it. Right into the show, and hopefully I'll be listening to the... I hear Paul typing, so Paul will tell us and just... Oh, cheater, cheater. Oh, yeah, absolutely, I'm cheating. Well, you got my reference. Oh, oh, I should have known this. Fright Night. Oh, okay. Who? What? Fright Night, Chris Sarandon. Oh, okay, never mind. That's, I, I, you know... (laughs) That's that's like the equivalent of not knowing what Mary Jane's name is. <laughs> I don't know anyone that doesn't know that. So, oh, well, you weren't here for the pre-show, were you? Oops, guess that I'll have to be in now. <laughs> uh, you guys have some uh, weird pictures on your Skype. Hmm. You guys have some weird pictures. <laughs> I just changed mine too. <laughs> Bill looks like he's flying. 
for it. That's uh, that's Google's Paisano for the. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's driving home on the freeway. That's me uh, as Google's Paisano. Scott's looks like he's at the proctologist and doesn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm looking as handsome as ever. <laughs> and Paul's just that's just I guess real life. I don't know what that is. <laughs> no, that's that's what I look like. Wow. That's right after I get a haircut. Oh, that's lovely. You shaved the goatee too. Nice. <laughs> I, 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 you know, as we as we've discussed many times on the air, I'm a fan of a little pig boy face. Uh, <laughs> Bill, not so much. <laughs> I see that pig in my nightmares. Uh, One day you're gonna good. you're gonna wake up, you're gonna open your eyes, and that pig is gonna be right next to you. Oh, <laughs> is it gonna be like the Godfather? It'll be just its head. <laughs> I actually think you'd like that better. <laughs> yeah, somewhere there's bacon. Hmm. Oh, it's got a nipple. I know it's just got one oh, nipple. Oh, that is wrong. Go ahead, say it. Say it. I need an adult now. <laughs> oh, I'm so I, glad. I like the way it looks. It looks like he has. If you look on the left side, it looks like he has a little like ponytail coming down. <laughs> God. Like no hair on the top, but in the back he's got the the long hair. Party I don't know if that's what that is or if it's something behind them, but it looks business, like it to me. Business in the front, party in the back. Uh, he's party all over. It's a pig boy mullet. A pullet. <laughs> all right. So, having gone down that road, <laughs> uh, you're welcome. Glad to be here. Anybody got any comic news before we dive into some books? I had uh, two quick things I wanted to bring up real quick. Um, I know we uh, do it at the end of the show, but I want to do it here at the beginning of the show. I want to plug once again the Facebook group. Guys, if you're listening and you are not members of the Back to the Bins Facebook group, please come on over, check us out, and uh, see if that might be something that would appeal to you, joining the group. I want to see our membership swell. I really do. Um, I think we have a great group. It's a lot of fun. Uh, We have... Uh, literally it's been daily activity in the group where people are posting up just, uh, you know, great images of, of favorite comics. And, you know, we have some, uh, some lively discussion going on over there. So if you enjoy the show, you know, that's just a natural extension of the show. Just, you know, uh, a bunch of great folks getting together and just talking about, uh, old funny books that they love. So come on over and, uh, and join the group. Uh, the other thing, I wanted to ask you guys this. Now, granted, this is a very visual thing, and uh, I, we don't have our cameras on or anything to show you this, so I'm going to have to describe it to you. But Oh, my God. Oh, <clears throat> you guys, <laughs> you guys oh my know, God, put your shirt on. No. <laughs> have you seen these, um, these framed art pieces, like wall art pieces that are the, the lenticular, like Marvel, like classic hero images. Have you mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the like three the three D ones you took. Yeah, the three the three D ones. Yes. Yeah, I've, I've seen those. Now, they're really Have cool. you seen the new ones that are coming out now, where they're actually like poster sized? No, no. I've no. seen the small ones over at like Bed Bath and Beyond. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it started out as that because I have the Bob Layton one, you know, which is the classic um, Iron Man one twenty six cover as a lenticular, and it's. Um, I would guess probably what, like six by eight or something like that. You know, that roughly that size. That sounds about right. Well, now I was in um, what was it, Kirkland's the other day, and I don't know if you guys have Kirkland's where you live, but it, it's basically one of those 
you you walk in and it stinks like flowers places with yeah. you know all kinds of fancy schmancy shit that you can put up in your house, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I've been going there from time to time because somebody, it was probably Scott Rife, and somebody put me on the trail of that place because every once in a while they'll get geek-related stuff in there, usually Star Wars stuff. So I had been going in there chasing those um, those wall art pieces that are recreations of Marvel Star Wars covers. Well, anyway, long story short, I was in one, this is about a week ago, and now they have those same Marvel lenticular things, but some of them are poster-sized. I got this great one. I wish I had a picture to show it to you. I'm just going to have to describe it to you, but it's Captain America, and it's a classic Cap image, but what's weird is I don't know who drew it. I'm going to have to take a picture and post it in our group and see if somebody can identify the artist. I'm going to guess... It's inked by Ramita, but I don't know who the artist is. I think it might be Bob Brown, but I'm not sure. What what is he doing in the image? You said it's he's a classic. Right at you. It's a classic cap where he's he's got his shield tucked under his. Let me see. This would be his left arm, and he's just running. And he, but he's like running at you, you know. And it just says Captain America. But what's really cool is, of course, it's lenticular. So when you stand in the right position, it's just it's jumping right out of the frame. And then everything in the background is comic art images. So it's, um, reach over so I can grab it here. It is um, the cover behind the image. You don't see much of it because panels are popping out and, you know, there's explosions and stuff. But it's, uh, the image behind is uh, Captain America number 106. Now, this is not, I don't believe this is where the image actually comes from. It's almost like they just arbitrarily picked a, a cover to put in the in the background. And then there's some... Lee, uh, or not Lee, I'm sorry, Kirby, rather, Kirby panels uh, behind that, and then this image of Cap running at you. But it's not Kirby. It's oh. it's somebody else. And like I say, I think it's inked by Ramita. That's just a guess. And I think it might be penciled by Bob Brown. But anyway, I, I just wanted to let the listeners in, let you guys know, if you didn't know, that these are out here as poster-sized images now. And this is probably, this is probably like... I'm going to guess maybe 18 by 22, maybe even bigger than, I don't think it has an actual size on it, but I mean, they're big, they're poster size and it's really nice. And what's funny is I bought this there and they had a a sale on it. It was like 25% off or whatever. So I got it for like 22 bucks, which was a little bit more than I really wanted to pay for it, but I just loved it so much. I had to have it. And then my wife ended up seeing, she was in a um, Hobby Lobby and she messaged me and she was like, how much did you pay for that Captain America thing that you just bought the other day? And I told her and she said, well, they have it here for half price. And the original price on it was 25 bucks. So half price was like 12.50. And I said, well, which ones do they have? And she said, oh, you know, she named all the different ones. And, and she said, but this Captain America, she goes, I, it's Captain America, but I don't know if it's the same one that you have. So she took a picture. She sent it to me. It's another Captain America one. And at first glance, I thought the image of Cap was from the cover of Avengers number four, and it's not, but it is a a Kirby Cap on that one. So there's more than one, at least of Captain America. There's also an Iron Man. I didn't like the Iron Man one very much. I don't know who it is. I think it might be Tusca, but I didn't really like the Iron Man. There's a Hulk one, um, and then there's one that's actually um, horizontal, and it's several heroes. I know Cap... Iron Man and, and Hulk are on it. Maybe Thor. I forget who else. But there's a bunch of these now that are this really big, like, po- again, poster-sized. 
but they're the lenticular. And I, I mean, I really love these. I wish I had more wall space because I'd collect more of them. But I picked the one that I liked the best, which was this cap one. But if you guys see these around, uh, I, I think you'd really uh, get a kick out of them. But I just thought I would uh, let you guys know that these are out there to be found because I, I think this is really cool. I love this stuff. So yeah, that I would was... say my, my biggest problem with stuff like that is wall space. Yeah, you, you've been down to my yeah. basement. Wall space is at a premium. Yeah. Well, me too. Yeah. I'm I'm running out. It's at this point. It's going to come down to some things are just going to have to go into retirement for a while, and this is going to have to find a home because I love it. Something's got to give somewhere. Yeah, well, Bill Bill retired my uh, my Beatles Muhammad Ali picture because <laughs> that's been replaced by Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Yep, sweet. Yeah, I have these look cool, but I have no room for them. All my well, my rooms have kids in them now. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill's got kids. They they all have birthdays too. Shut up, <laughs> shut up. Ben's birthday's today. I know, that's why I said it. Oh, happy birthday, Ben. Yeah, you he's... won't hear this for a couple of weeks or something, but still. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's happy belated uh, birthday. He's 14 now. Like oh. I said last time, Bill, uh, Ben is probably two years away from like pushing Bill down to the ground and tickling him <laughs> until he can't breathe. And then grabbing his hand and say, why, saying, why are you hitting yourself? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, he's he, he hit a growth spurt. I think he hit a growth spurt since we went to... Uh, to Tampa Bay Comic Con back in the summer, Scott, because he's like jumped up a couple inches and he's got hair growing all over him now. And I'm like, oh my god, Ugh. what happened? Ew. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> There's an image. Yeah, it's a teenage boy. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's he's yeah yeah boy, boy. <laughs> yeah, so all my kids have had their birthdays, so now I know how old they are again. How old's Katie? Uh, nineteen. Nineteen. Yeah, yeah, nineteen. Sarah's 16 and Ben's 14. Wait, oh, damn it. <laughs> I'm not sure how old Sarah is. I think she's 16. Son of a bitch. Oh. Well, she she had her. Well, never mind. Ah, I'm not going through this again. You can't make me. They're, so, they're, they're old. <laughs> and they have birthdays. And they have birthdays. That's all we need to know. Which yeah. birthday it is is irrelevant. Yep, yep. But Katie will be back down from college uh, in uh, about two weeks. So she'll be back down. We went and spent a week up there in Ohio where I went to the um, Neil Armstrong Space Museum. It was pretty cool. Cool. They have a framed picture of, of the the uh, protective order from against you, Scott. <laughs> against me? The one, that, the one that, that says you weren't allowed within 100 feet of Neil Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> Again? Does that go right next to the Matt Hunsworth one that is <laughs> for for me to keep me from going near Matt? To keep you away from him. <laughs> anyway, we, we, we're falling into uh, our typical trap. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a trap. Episode. We, we got two books to cover and we might as well get into actually covering two books. So Sweet. I always I always like to give the guests the uh, the choice if you'd like to go first or second. I'll go first. Why not? Damn. Oh, I mean, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, I let you go first last time. You did. That's true. I think. No, uh, you did. Okay. All right. Well, my book this time is Batman number 423. And I chose this one because this is one of the very first Batman comics I ever owned. It's actually one of the very first comics I ever owned. So... 
this uh, this was actually my very favorite comic for a while until my parents threw it away. Um, not the important part. So that's why I chose this one. It it really stuck with me, and the other books that were there were two parter, and I didn't want to do two parts at once. So the t- um, do we want to talk about the cover because it has absolutely nothing to do with the story? No, you can give a description. Okay, uh, it's okay. It, uh, picture it. it it's a uh, red skies, but not crisis related. Uh, there's a moon. There's Batman hugging a lady, and there's a lot of cape capage and bats and they're on a cliff so i think he's gonna throw her off or something i don't know what's going on here fly be free but that it is that has has an impossible amount of edge to it oh she, well it's it's a todd she, mcfarlane i was just gonna say where have i seen that before or would we see that in the future hmm. did you talk about the spider webs i'm talking about spawn oh, mm-hmm. oh yeah i'm pretty sure there's a spawn that's pretty much exactly the same it's a little known fact, but Batman is a firm believer in the uh, old expression, if you love something, set it free off a cliff. <laughs> yes. That, I don't, that is a lot of cape. That's just... It's an impossible amount of cape. It's an impossible amount of cape. And look at the ears. Good lord. That's a scary Batman. But and I don't know he, why... And he's, he's copping a feel. Wouldn't you? Where's his other hand? I don't know. She looks very young. <laughs> Where are his feet? They with Rob Liefeld. <laughs> uh, you beat me to it, damn it. Rob Liefeld sweets, sleeps with the fishes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but anyway, so the title of the story... Oh, wait a minute. I should tell you that it has a cover date of September 1988, but it was on sale, apparently, according to Mike's Amazing World of All Sorts of Comics, on May 24th, 1988, with a cover price of a whopping 75 cents. Uh, the title is You Should Have Seen Him. It's written by Jim Starlin, penciled by Dave Cockrum, inked by Mark DiCarlo, lettered by John Costanza, colored by Adrian Roy, edited by Denny O'Neill, and Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Believe it. Thank you for that. Oh, hey, you know what? Uh, so, uh, we start off at Gotham Borough Bridge at 2.45 a.m. Kenny, an 18-year-old heroin addict, has decided to end it all by jumping about 465 feet straight down into the Gotham River. A police officer named Bart, no last name given, tries to talk him down, but it isn't working. Uh, Then, as if out of nowhere, the totally amazing and awesome Batman arrives on the scene. Unfortunately, Batman has about as much luck with Kenny as Bart did, and the kid jumps anyway. So Batman dives after him and manages to grab hold of the kid before before the hidden bungee cord that Batman's wearing yanks him back up again. As they hang there waiting for the police to arrive in a boat, Batman tells Kenny that this is his second chance and it's time to clean up his body and his life before he drops the kid off with the police and swings away. We then shift to Willie's Diner at 5.47 a.m. As Bart finishes telling his his fellow officer, Greg, about his amazing Batman story, excuse me, Greg says that he saw Batman that night too, only he seemed like a whole different person. So we flash back to 3.15 a.m. Greg's SWAT team got a call about a robbery in progress at the deli. It's just called the deli, so I'm guessing it's the only one in Gotham. Uh, three crackheads and four employees, or let me try that again. Three crackheads had four employees hostage and were demanding $100,000 in cash plus a Cadillac to escape in. The hostage negotiator was about as successful as Bart had been with Kenny, and the crackheads were threatening to kill a hostage if their demands were not met by 4 a.m. Unfortunately, oh, 
Oh my god, they're going to kill Aunt May there? I know, right? <laughs> it's Aunt May with a ponytail. Yeah, yeah. Aunt May with a ponytail. They got Aunt May, Uncle Ben. Uh, and and isn't, uh, isn't that the guy that uh, that Spock put the Vulcan pinch on in uh, in Voyage Home? <laughs> wow. The guy who was play, playing the radio on the bus? Yeah. yeah. I kept waiting for him to say, uh, <laughs> Laundry. <laughs> Never mind. I messed it up. I can't stop laughing. <laughs> well, wash day tomorrow. You Nothing know what? Clean, right? It's, Scott, it's funnier than if you got it right. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So, uh, unfortunately, by this point, it pretty much it pretty much was 4 a.m. and the crackheads were ready to kill their first hostage. But just as the lead crackhead fired his gun, he was hit in the head by a teeny tiny battering that caused him to pull the gun up and miss his intended victim. While the leader recovers from a bleeding head wound, Batman made short work of the other two crackheads, including breaking the arm of one of them. I think. There's no snap sound effect, but it sure looks like he's breaking the crap out of it. Um, no, nah, he's just doing the Jerry Lewis sound effect. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> it does actually could be. I don't. Anyway. My um, way! Sorry. However, this this left Batman on the opposite side of the deli from the leader, who once again had his gun at the head of a hostage. In fact, it's the same Aunt May with the ponytail-looking hostage. Batman appeared to slowly walk. Uh, yeah, he looks like he's slowly walking towards the leader while threatening to cause the gunman a great deal of pain if he hurts the hostage. It also looks like he's constipated in this. <laughs> anyway. Uh, with the gunman good and scared, Batman leapt at him, which caused him to aim his gun at the Dark Knight. But before he could fire off a shot, he was disarmed and sent flying through a window. By the time the SWAT team could rush in, it was all over, and Batman was long gone. Uh, in the present, Greg is impressed by how cold Batman is when another officer inject, injects, interjects, either way. This guy's name is Officer Kirby Jackson. I don't know where they got that name. And he had apparently been eavesdropping on the conversation the whole time and completely disagrees with Greg because he ran into Batman tonight as well. So a little bit before 5 a.m., Officer Jackson was patrolling down by the docks when he spotted two small children, a boy and a girl. They, they ran off once they realized they'd been spotted, and although he was faster, the kids were more agile and knew the terrain better. They would have gotten away with it too if it hadn't been no. They would have gotten away if they hadn't run into Batman doing his best Superman pose. The boy was ready to fight, but Batman just kneeled down and talked to the kids. He convinced them to take them to where they lived, which was just a packing crate under the West Side Highway. It turns out that the boy was a seven-year-old named Hank, and the girl is a five-year-old girl named Jenny, and that and he she is his si yeah, she is his sister. They had managed to survive in Gotham City on their own without any money by burning garbage to stay warm and finding food in dumpsters behind restaurants. With a little more convincing, Batman eventually got them to tell him their story. It turns out they used to live down in Florida, probably near Scott and Bill, <laughs> uh, <laughs> until their mom was killed in a car accident and their dad was laid off from his job. He took them up to Gotham hoping there would be more opportunity for work, but he was wrong. In an attempt to get money to go back to Florida, their dad got into a poker game, but somebody got caught cheating and their dad was accidentally killed in the ensuing fight. Welcome to Gotham. Uh, a social worker showed up a couple days later, literally two days later. So these kids were already dealing with that crap, just being by themselves for two days. Uh, but the kids didn't like the idea of being taken to separate homes, so they ran away. 
and had been living on the streets ever since. At this point, Officer Jackson swears that he saw Batman shed a tear when he turned away from the fire, but he'd wiped his eyes before returning back. No, so he just thought he was the Indian from those 70s. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't crying about the kids. He was crying. Oh, See all the glitter parts. in that alley? Yeah, damn pollution. <laughs> Gotham's, Gotham's just so dirty. Uh, let's see. Uh, where was I? See, y'all screwed me up. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Charlie. Yeah, dang it. Okay, here we go. Okay, so then with a smile, which is also odd for Batman, uh, he told the kids that he would see to it that they're never separated again. He then offers to take them to stay with his friend Bruce Wayne until they find some relatives back in Florida. The officer radios in to Commissioner Gordon to take care of the paperwork, and about a half hour later, everything was all set. At this point, someone needs to blow their nose. No, at, <laughs> at this point, Jackson has to leave uh, to give his wife a ride to work. Once he's out of earshot, Craig tells Bart that Jackson's story was just made up to impress them. After all, no way Batman would cry. Wayne Manor at 6 a.m., Bruce Wayne checks in on Hank and Jenny in one of the guest rooms. Uh, Alfred promises to start making inquiries for their Aunt Susan in the morning, or in the afternoon. However, however, Alfred wonders if Batman bringing home wayward children means that the Dark Knight is going soft. Uh, Bruce figures that while that may be the case, it isn't enough for anyone but him to notice. And after that happy ending, next issue, Robin pushes a rapist off a balcony. <laughs> is that a rapist or the therapist? <laughs> it, yeah, it's therapist for 100 it's not a rapist, it's a rapist. There's two P's. It's most deaf. <laughs> All right, before we Is get into Is he even a rapper? I don't even know. I, I have no idea. Sounds like it. I but... think he's an actor, isn't he? I don't know. Maybe he was a singer no before that. Maybe he's a, a, a rapper actor. Maybe he's I, a Like Ice Cube. I do want to, before we get into reviewing the book proper, I do want to take, um, I, I don't want to say take objection because that's too strong a term, but... I just want to go back to something Charlie said about um, Batman smiling. And then I, I think what you said, Charlie, was that that was unusual or that was odd or something. Yes. But it really for for this iteration of Batman, it, it really wasn't. Um, it's one of those things that that I kind of lament has been lost about Batman mm. is that there was a time when he did more than just grimace, you know, like, like, you know, because I love page 10 where he's, you know, he said he looked constipated, but I really like those, you know, the last two panels on that page where he, he does, you know, he is kind of making the constipated face, but what, what it's trying to show is that he's really pissed off. You know, he's grinning oh, his yeah, teeth yeah. and, you know, the tendons are standing out in his neck and he's trying to show this guy that, you know, I will destroy you. Right. Yeah. But then, you know, that's when he's facing, you know, this coward, you know, using an old lady as, as a shield. But then when he's dealing with the children, you know, he, he has, you know, that much softer and, and tender side and he, you know, he can smile and everything. And it's the same type of thing where, you know, I've heard in, in a modern context, people make fun of that story where, where Batman sings Christmas carols with the Gotham PD and how ridiculous that looks from a modern sensibility where you know everybody today is used to batman being you know the the grim and gritty you know avenger of the night and all that sort of thing which that's fine 
But I, I miss this iteration of Batman where he had multi you know, he was a multifaceted character as opposed to just one thing, you know? Right. And yeah, don't, yeah, don't get me wrong. I wasn't trying to uh, say, be like, I didn't like it. Um, oh, okay. This, this is basically for, on, uh, for years or actually still, this is basically my introduction to quote unquote modern Batman at the time. Oh, wow. Because I got uh, I got this like the summer of Batman, uh, so eighty nine I guess. Th- so the right. following year, so this was my Batman. So th- that that's part of the reason I chose this too. Uh, but this was my Batman, the Batman that could be the scary Batman, but it could also be this nice guy, happy guy Batman, and could also be the Batman that, well, it fails at talking a person off a bridge. Right. So not but still perfect. saves him just the same. Right. Not he perfect. He had a backup plan. Yeah. Exactly. Not perfect. Um, you know, he, 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 he can't do everything. This isn't a Batman that could, and I don't want to start a debate, but this isn't a Batman that um, could last long with Superman. Um, well, he could plan, but you know what I mean. Um, this isn't, um, you know, this is not the modern these days Batman that has everything planned out 30 moves ahead. And this is this is the Batman that I had grown up with up until I started reading more modern comics. So now, I completely understand what you were saying. That that uh, that's part of why I chose it, just because it is a different Batman. This is the cool Batman to me. Right. I hadn't uh, I hadn't read this story since it was new on the stands because I was you know I was an avid Batman fan at this time and I was buying Batman. Uh, religiously, either off the stands or, or through a subscription, one of the two. And I remembered this issue as nothing beyond, more beyond the cover. You know, this was the McFarlane issue. Mm-hmm. And while I knew he had nothing to do with the interiors, that's just how it, it has always been kind of filed in my memory was that this was the McFarlane issue just because of that cover. So I remembered absolutely nothing of the interior on this. And And if you'd asked me what the book was about, I'd have gone out. Ah, this was just a throwaway issue. And so I was really pleasantly surprised and, and delighted to basically discover this story all over again for the first time. Cause I remembered nothing of this and I really liked this story a lot. Of course, I'm a, I'm a Jim Starlin Mark. Anyway, I typically like anything he ever does. I, I wish he had done. The art was my only regret with the issue. Now I like, um, Dave Cochran mm-hmm. quite a bit. But it's funny, you know, I used to really like Mike DiCarlo back in the day, you know, back in the 80s. And now I look at his inking and, you know, I I hate to be mean to the guy, but I now see where a lot of the complaints I had about some artists and the one that really comes to mind is Latter-day Jim Aparo. I've been very critical of Latter-day Jim Aparo. And I realize now that I think my my issues with it are actually Mike DiCarlo's inks because mm-hmm. Apparel came on to Batman. Um, it was right around the not not long before I stopped collecting Batman. It was right around the time where um, Batman got his back broken and the whole Bane thing, and then the um, 
that multi-part story where everybody got loose from Gotham. And I, I actually, I think mm-hmm. that was part of the, the backbreaking thing. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Nice it wasn't part. long after that, that I stopped collecting. And one of the big reasons I stopped collecting was for one, I thought the stories just were getting worse, but also the art took a serious dip for me, which was painful to watch because Jim Apero is my guy when it comes to Batman. That's my default Batman position is Jim Apero. But there was just something off with the art. And I had always kind of chalked it up to, well, you know, he's he's older. You know, he, he was an old guy by that point, And maybe he just didn't have the chops anymore. But now I look at it and looking at this issue, you know, a completely different penciler. And the art's not that much different. So I really think what it is, is it's DiCarlo overpowering his pencilers. And uh, he's not a great artist. I mean, he's not a bad artist, don't get me wrong, but it's somehow, it's it's like um, Vinnie Coletta syndrome. He kind of homogenizes the art, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so it all has a very even look that's not particularly dynamic or anything. And it's funny, I, I, you know, honestly, I think if you put this issue right next to one of those latter-day apparel issues I'm talking about, I think you'd be hard-pressed to see much of a difference in the art. And there is a vast difference between Dave Cockrum and Jim Apero. Mm-hmm. Oh, that definitely. should be readily apparent, but it's not because DiCarlo is kind of homogenizing them, if, if that makes any sense at all. But that's just how I, how I see that. Oh, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, I totally but, see it. But that's, yeah. you know, that's strictly on the art side. Um, story-wise, uh, I really liked this because this... And this is my this is my version of Batman. As you say, he's not infallible. He's not the master planner. He's just a guy going out there and doing the best he can to to save people and protect people and and all that. And I, I like that. You know what this mm-hmm. story really gave me a, a really strong vibe of, especially at the very end with the cops in the diner and all that. Mm-hmm. Did you guys ever read? There's an old classic Batman story. It's been reprinted a lot of times. And as a matter of fact. Um, I looked it up, and, and the most common place you can see it reprinted is in any of the collections of the greatest Batman stories ever told. It was a story called The Batman Nobody Knows from Batman 250. Did you guys mm-hmm. ever read this story? Mm-hmm. Isn't, that the one where, uh, isn't that the one where he goes back to Crime Alley with mm-hmm. uh, Leslie Tompkins? I, I don't think so. That might oh, happen in that, but that's not how I remember it. How I remember okay. it is it was a bunch of kids um, around a campfire. And I think, again, it's been a long time since I've read this story, but I think it turns out that Bruce Wayne actually took them on the camping trip. I I could be wrong about that detail. But anyway, it's a bunch of kids around a campfire speculating about who is Batman really. And each one of them has like a different interpretation of who Batman really is based on either, you know, wild speculation or having like caught a glimpse of him in action or something like that. And that's what this strongly reminded me of because each one of these cops has caught a different glimpse of Batman over the course of this evening. And each one walks away with a different impression. One of them sees him as the savior. One of them sees him as this, you know, badass vigilante. And then one of them sees him as, you know, this compassionate father figure. And that, that has very strong similarities to that other, um, you know, that classic Batman tale. I, I need to dig that one out and read it again because it's been a long time, so the, the details are fuzzy. But that's just, you know, on a on a concept level, that's what it kind of reminded me of. 
Yeah, I need to I need to read that. I think I sorry, I had it confused with the uh, there's no hope in Crime Alley. In Crime story. Alley, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was that was dumb of me. No, no, no. This, uh, oh. They also did um kind of a story like this in uh, on the animated series. Mm-hmm. Way different because they changed the art style, but it was um, Legends of. I think it's actually called Legends of the Dark Knight. And uh, now that that episode, yeah, yeah, I think is. I know exactly the one you're talking about, and I think that episode might be kind of based on the story I was talking about. But mm-hmm. instead of showing him in the incarnations they had in that original story, they showed him. Where was he? He was like fighting like Firebug, and then he was in the future in the Frank Miller Dark Knight. Right. Is, yeah, is that did, the one? Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, let's see. One kid looks like was drawn to look kind of like a the Silver Age or the Golden Age right. Robin. So they did a Dick Sprang story. And right. Then, uh, yeah. Yeah. Dark Knight, and then and then they do the uh, they actually see him in real life, and they all think that they were right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that I like I, that one. I think that one uh, again. I could be dead wrong, but I think that episode, as a basic framework of the story, is using the Batman nobody knows as as kind of the framework for you know for the overall story. It's just the particular iterations of Batman look differently than they do because the the one that really stands out in my mind is there was one of the kids, and he might have been a little black kid. I'm not sure. But the the iteration of Batman he envisions is a Batman that looks a lot like um, Bill Cosby. No, he well, he, well, yeah, actually, he does. But he <laughs> going like, into Batman. You're going to see like, him. like yeah. take take that original image that you see on Facebook all the time when people are making the ridiculous arguments about Bob Kane creating Batman. That image of of the white guy in the in the red outfit with the bat wings. And then change the red on his outfit to blue and then change him from a white guy to a black guy and add like a jetpack belt. And that's kind of what he looks like to this to this little black kid because he looks up to him as, as, you know, as a black hero. And that was one of the iterations. And there was another one that was basically like a like a like a bat, like a giant monster bat. And then I can't remember what the other ones were. And I, if I remember, I think at the very end of that, the reason I think that Batman or, you know, that Bruce Wayne is the one that actually took them on the camping trip is I think at the very end of the story, Batman actually shows up at the campfire. And I think it's because Bruce Wayne basically listened to all their stories and was like, I need to set these kids straight or something to that effect. And I think he comes like, like down out of the trees and surprises them all. And was like, Hey kids, I'm Batman or whatever he does, you know, at the end of the story, cut type of thing. But yeah. I really like that one. It beats them within an inch of their lives. <laughs> and they never got it wrong again. Uh, <laughs> and they shoot him. He's a giant bat. Kill him. Oh. Well, I liked this issue, but I had this feeling as I was reading it that it, it could have been an after-school special. I don't like. Yeah, that I, last I, I don't part know. especially. Hmm? That last part especially. With yeah. The kids. yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, I mean, it was, it's not that it was bad. I just didn't think it was especially creative. And the artwork, it's interesting to hear your take on it, Scott, because I was looking at it and not liking it either, but I wasn't really putting it to the inking. And then when you commented about DiCarlo on the inking, you know, you, you may be 100% right. I started thinking, well, maybe Cockrum 
just isn't suited for a series like this because I've always liked Cockrum on his Legion of Superheroes work or his X-Men work or the very limited work he did with the Avengers. And I started thinking, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a Perez thing where he does better with super teams than than with one individual. And and I think it's borne out to some extent in here because it looks like his work on Batman is better than his work on regular non-powered people. And some of that may be DiCarlo, some of that may be Cockrum. Uh, but, but the thing I keep looking at is a lot of the people just look very stiff. They don't look natural. They don't look fluid, uh, right. particularly the splash page. That cop, that does just doesn't look right. Um, so I, th- I think there's enough blame to go around <laughs> on the artwork. <laughs> It's not that the artwork's horrible. It's not. It's it's decent, no, but it, it's, it's just not. It's not solid. It's not. You know, there's there's points in where it could be a lot better. Right. And and I, I get a little tired, and and something I'm never going to avoid. But I get a little tired of street toughs having to be so stereotypical. You know, like, you know, they they, they look like they walked off the set of some you know post apocalyptic uh, you know movie. Oh yeah, with the spike spiky hair thing. And yeah. The... Yeah. Well, wasn't this wasn't this post? Yeah, this would be post Dark Knight Returns. They reminded me of the mutants. In yeah, that's 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 yeah. along the lines. So, well, you know, they could have been on the set of Mad Max, right? Yeah, yeah. The you leader know. guy looks like he's got some effed up teeth. Well, yeah, he reminds me of the mutant leader in that Batman fights in Dark Knight Returns because he had pointed teeth like that too. And they had the weird hair. And, yeah, yeah. Only thing they were missing was the weird visor thing. The Cyclops, Pfizer. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> hey, um, the picture that one of you guys posted up of uh, Batwing, wasn't this the character that was in the New 52 when they relaunched? When they had, like, know, the I it- hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> you know what? I, you're, he does look a lot like him. I hadn't even put that together. Yeah. But, because didn't they have like the International Batwing, like Batman Inc. or something? Wasn't it called yeah. Batwing? Well, they had yeah. Batwing. They, it was. Originally, it was... Uh, it was a, a hero, you know, part of Batman Inc. in Africa. And then I'm pretty sure when Jimmy Palmiotti started to write it, it was a different uh, a different actual character in the Batwing suit. It was uh, Lucius's uh, son. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and then it was in the States. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. and it was, uh, it was very similar, but I, he was kind of a Iron Batman, too. Mm. I remember. Big metal suit. Almost a little of the Azrael Batman. Mm-hmm. But same typical, same idea, you know, could fly with jetpacks and black dude. Well, what's funny is that in in other printings, they have colored him differently. Cause really? Because at least one other printing, yeah, I'm looking at it here. I'll, I'll share it in the in the chat window. This is fascinating listening to the <laughs> to the audience. But they're uh, we're professionals. I'm not sure where. I'm not sure which version is the original and which one is the reprint but there's at least one image let me just share this page with you where he was actually colored red and yellow and then there's the one that that you're looking at that i shared a moment ago where he's black and blue so Hmm. it's it's weird i'm not sure which is the original and which is the reprint but yeah he's been colored differently depending on the the printing anyway back to the story (laughs) Which is still a Batman story. Yes. Uh, you know, what, what you were saying earlier about the, um, the inker overpowering the artist, um, 
Yeah, yeah, we've no noticed that lately on some of the stuff we've been doing with Adventure Spotlight to where we've been stepping through a pretty long run and you can see how the inker has affected what we've been looking at. But um, when you were talking about Aparo, um, back in 89 when Batman was big on the scene with the movie and everything, um, my roommate when I was in the Navy, he was really big into Batman and he was getting the comics and Aparo was doing the comics at that time. So I was getting a lot of exposure to, 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 to Aparo. And that's kind of like, like the most I'd been exposed to Batman up to that point. Boy, that didn't sound good. Did it? <laughs> Not so. at all. Oh, another, another clip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe DiCarlo just kind of, cause I, this doesn't look like Dave Cochran to me. So, right. you know, I could see to where maybe, you know, cause I'm like, like, like Paul, I'm, I'm more familiar with him with the X-Men, not the Legion of superheroes. And it just doesn't look like uh, maybe, ve- you know, subtly it looks like Dave Cochran, but yeah, it does not look like the Dave Cochran that I've, you know, that I'm more familiar with. So. Well, I, th- I think one of the most distinctive things about Dave Cochran's art style is the way he draws faces, and I don't see that in this at all. So I'm I'm saying that that DiCarlo did overpower him in that, because otherwise you would be able to see it more. If you remember when we did Avengers Spotlight, the reason I picked Cockrum out of that cover was just because of the way he drew Thor's face. Right. It, it had nothing to do with any other uh, aspect of the of the drawing, uh, and and you don't see it in this. But again, I I think some of the figures to me look a little stiff. And again, like I said, I, I don't see the fluidity to how they're drawn. And I think Cockrum's got to take the blame on that. I don't think that's the inking. No, yeah. Well, actually, yeah, I agree with that. Because unless he's completely redrawing the figures, I would think most of the figure work and positioning would have would be from the penciler. Uh, the Carlo would just be messing with some of the features. Yeah. And, and, and we don't know you know, what level of penciling he did here, if he gave him, you know, some loose breakdowns or, or if they were, you know, highly detailed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if they were loose breakdowns, then by their very nature, the inker has to impose his own will on them. So, you know, it's, it's a little difficult to know, but certainly I think we would be in agreement that DiCarlo is not the artist that Cockrum is. Oh, definitely Cochran not. Was. Well, yeah. But overall, you know, I found it to be an entertaining book. For what it's worth, you know, I like my criticisms. Oh yeah, hey, thanks. Yeah. This this fell in in the stage when I wasn't I was not buying. Uh, I I had stopped around 1986 or so, and and came back in whatever it was 92 93 when they did the Death of Superman. So this this came in the span where I wasn't buying any books, and uh, this is the first time I had a chance to read this one. Where did where where did Batman get that little teeny tiny little battering? Dark Knight. Dark Knight? Sure. That small? <laughs> oh, he had them all sorts of sizes. But yes, I think he had little ones. Mm. That doesn't sound right either. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Bill. <laughs> Alfred forgot to take him out of his utility belt when he washed his clothes. So he got it out of the dryer. <laughs> Alfred. Can you imagine that image, though, with the regular size battering? Good Lord. <laughs> slice, slice his head open. The whole half his head would be gone. But, you know, you know, how much time do you have to go into your utility belt and find the right-sized batarang? The right size. Oh, that's the big one. Where did, where did I put the little 
Well, you know, they can only be so, I mean, look at his bat, his bat, not the bat, the belt. I mean, he's just got those little cylinders. That looks like a bat earring. I always got a kick out of it on the Super <laughs> Friends when they would like take their utility belts and Batman would have the belt with all the different compartments on it. And Robin would just basically have a little, you know, thin black belt. What did he keep in that? <laughs> exactly the Cigarettes. same thing Batman had. His his manhood. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> it was just to keep his shorts up. <laughs> like I said, his manhood. Oh. All right. Anybody got anything else on this one or should we rate it? Let's rate it. You know the rating system, Charlie? You do letters, right? Letter grades like in school, cover, art, story, overall. Okay. Someone else go first. All right. I'll go. Uh, The cover is totally unrealistic. (laughs) It's just kind of crazy, but I really like it despite that. Uh, It's moody. I like the color scheme on it. I like the fact that Batman's face is in the shadows. Uh, I, I have no idea where all these sharp angles are coming from on his cape, but whatever. I'm gonna I'm gonna say a B on the cover. I like it. The interior artwork I'm not quite so fond of. I think, as I said, the people look stiff. They don't look particularly realistic. I think Batman looks some good in some shots, but I don't think the lay people do. Uh, I'm gonna say just a C on the interior art and the story. And like I said, it felt to me like an after-school special, but it was entertaining, It was, and I thought it was good. So I'm going to go with a B on that as well, and overall I'll give it a B-. minus. Okay, I, I, I think I can do this now. All right, cover. I will go with I'll, – I'll kind of go with you for the B. I like the, the image itself. It looks kind of cool and definitely looks like a spooky Batman. And even though the cape is all kinds of screwed up, it is cool looking. Plus all the bats. I mean, you can't go wrong with a bunch of bats. So I'll give that a B. The um, Now see, th- this is kind of hard for me because for nostalgia reasons and because of my rose-tinted glasses, I want to say like A on story. But You can say whatever you want to oh, say. Uh, <laughs> so, well, in that term, A on story. But as a trying to look at it as a podcast person who is actually going through the story, I do see some of the faults, but I'll still give it like a B plus. Uh, the art, the art, um, I'm not as much of a fan of, and it really kind of hurt. I think the other thing that hurts the art is because it's so vastly different from the cover. Um, I mean, you, you've got a cover that, well, you got the cover that's Todd McFarlane, and inside you're closer to Super Friends. Uh, so, I'd that's probably. Good. That's a good point. <laughs> so, I'd probably have to go with. Uh, it's hard to. Uh, I'd go with a B minus, probably on the. Uh, maybe a C, C plus on the art. So I guess overall, I'd give it a B. I don't All know right. if that average is right, but whatever. Um, I I kind of like the cover. Uh, you know, it's it's stylized Todd McFarlane, but it's not crazy. Todd McFarlane with, you know, Batman's not in some ungodly acrobatic pose on the side of a building on a gargoyle, you know, in like those crazy Batman, um, those crazy Spider-Man positions he would put Spider-Man in, you know. So um, uh, I'm going to give the cover a B. The story, I like the story, too. It shows a diff- different aspects of Batman, you know, as Batman is seen by different people and how he is, you know, that he's sometimes... At least at this point, he was more of a multi-dimensional character, or could be 
portrayed as such. So I'm going to give the story, uh, I'm going to give it a B plus, A minus. And the art, eh, that's where it drops a little. Um, and one of the pictures that makes it drop, I think, for me, is the la- the very last panel. I just don't like that picture of Bruce Wayne smiling. I don't know if it's because, it, I don't know, it just looks, it, it, just, it looks creepy. He's like, now I have two kids in my house. <laughs> it just looks really, like, Aww. that. that Bruce Wayne would scare me. You know, <laughs> hey, technically it's, there's three because Robin's there somewhere. Yeah, that's, that's Bruce Wayne who had to register as a sex offender. Yeah, that's, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, well, just took this happy story way down. But it's the Frank art. Miller Road. It's, it's the art. It's not the story. It's just the art and the way he looks. He just looks really creepy in that picture. So I'm just going to give the art a C. So I guess this comes out to a B, a B book. B for bat. There you go. <laughs> um okay my turn um you know there was a time that i i was so crazy for todd mcfarland art so i feel almost hypocritical not really getting behind the cover but yeah i'm not crazy about the cover it's yes it's stylized but it's like so far way over stylized that it's it's flat ridiculous because you know, there's a difference between stylized and having some touchstone to reality. And there's no reality in this picture whatsoever. He he couldn't walk in this cape, let alone <laughs> be Batman in this cape. It's ridiculous. So, yeah, it's it's a little crazy. Um, but, you know, it's still it's strangely compelling as well. I don't I don't know. I'm going to say uh it's weird because I think I'm tempted to give the cover and the interior art basically the same grade for very different reasons. I think I'm going to say uh, on both the cover and the interior, art, I'm going to say a B minus because there's aspects, there's things that I like. There's definitely panels that I really like in the interior. And then there's a lot of it that is just kind of there. It's just kind of workmanlike and it's not terribly dynamic. And then you, you, you can actually go pages where it's just kind of like, ho-hum average comic art and then all of a sudden holy crap that looks really awesome you know so it's this weird seesaw back and forth throughout the book um it is definitely not helped by DiCarlo's inks i'm sorry i just i've really come to to think of him as kind of like the 80s vince coletta in a lot of ways um and also the coloring is odd in this it's it's a little too happy it's a little too bright and it's a little it's a little coloring book too it's a little generic which doesn't really help but overall i mean it, it's not bad i've definitely seen worse so um you know it's funny i i hadn't even put this together charlie it's really funny what you said about you know mcfarland cover and then this for the interior art i probably felt that way you know, back in 88, buying this off the stands, I probably felt exactly the way that you described. You know, you've got this, you know, at the time, I'm sure I thought this was a beautiful McFarlane cover. And then you open it up and it's like, oh, oh, Cochran and DeCarlo. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and I probably, that's probably why I couldn't remember anything of the interior. It probably just didn't really strike any chords. But now all these years later, being so, you know, I so fondly miss this Batman that the the story probably struck a much richer chord with me than it than it would you know even just a few years ago so i it was really the story that that hit me with this i really liked it i enjoyed it a lot and it it has its flaws and everything but overall i I really did enjoy the story really the 
the biggest nitpick I've got with the book beyond art or anything else is the the very first bat feat in the book where he saves the kid plummeting off the bridge. I'm sorry, but that next to last panel, page four, that would snap his spine. It might just <laughs> cleave him right in two. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. if if being snagged by the foot by Spider-Man's web line could snap Mary Jane's neck, what would this do to Batman's back? <laughs> Falling, you know, it says 20 feet above the water is where he finally snags and saves the kid. Well, it said this was a 465 foot drop. So that means they fell for 445 feet and came to essentially the same jarring stop. They just didn't hit the water. Well, wait a minute. Maybe maybe you've stumbled onto something here because didn't this happen before Bane broke his back? Yeah. Maybe this this action weakened his back, which allowed Bane to break it. (laughs) Well, also, I was trying to remember, I meant to look this up while you guys were talking and I got distracted and and didn't actually do it. But I was trying to find out where did Batman or not Batman, but where did Detective 600 take place in relation to this? Because a lot of people forget that Batman actually got his back broken a couple of times because his back was broken in Detective 600. As part of that, no, it hadn't happened yet. The book that was on the stands concurrently with this, the detective issue is 590. So Mm. 10 issues in his future, he would get his back broken. But I mean, come on, you look at that panel and he's basically got a toilet seat wrapped around his middle. (laughs) And then, you know, the, the rope or whatever, bungee or whatever it is, goes taut. He's got that thing wrapped around his stomach, essentially. Well, you know what? This well, I mean, that would hurt. He's he's holding the kid in front of him with both. So, you know, all that weight coming to that sudden stop and it's all on Batman's back and stomach. You know, they <laughs> used to have um, some of the work I do. We have to wear safety harnesses and they used right. to have safety harnesses just like this to prevent falls that if you fell, it was only like a belt around your waist and it would do this very same thing. And they got away from those because of all the back injuries that would take place because of it. (laughs) I'm serious. I'm not making You're you're making my case for it. Yeah. Because that's because it's such, because you know, just physically look at that. It's like, ah, I mean, I, I can hear this. Rather let you fall to your death than hurt your back. <laughs> that's right. I don't care how much world's greatest athlete this guy might be. That's gonna friggin' hurt. At the very least, he would heal or hurl his lunch in this kid's face. At the very least, he like, would definitely. That, that's Uh-oh. gotta hurt. He would definitely be making the Scott Gardner. <laughs> Twice. I got you. <laughs> Twice in this book, because there's page four, and then there's also, let me see if I can find it real quick, the page, it's page, where the hell is it? (laughs) Page 13, last panel, where the cop is running down the alley chasing the kids, and uh, it says, they knew the territory too, and he didn't, he's tripping over a brick, he's going, (laughs) his hat's flying (laughs) off his head and everything, it's great. So you got two of them in this issue. But no, I, I did like it. I would give the I would give the story. I would say uh, I'll give it an A minus. I I really liked uh, the story. Uh, so that's what two B minuses and an A minus. I think that averages out to a B, right? So a B book, B for Batman. Wow, B for bookless. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But I, however, am not bookless. Therefore, we'll move on Just to our list. second book of the day, Marvel feature number one. From December of 1971, featuring the Defenders. 
And this, this is the first issue that actually has the Defenders under that name. They had appeared, uh, as we've discussed in the past, in issues of the Submariner and the Hulk, uh, in, in more loose team-ups. But this is the If you true... want a list, I just happen to have it right here. You got Doc Strange 183, Submariner 22, Incredible Hulk 126, and then Submariner's back-to-back issues 34 and 35 kind of precede this. They're the kind of the lead-ups, essentially, to this. Although this story doesn't have anything to do you know, with those prior loose team-ups, it all kind of adds together. It kind of sort of half-ass explains why Doc Strange assembles the people he, uh, or even attempts to assemble the people he attempts to assemble. If I remember right, at least some of those issues that are the precursor to this one, the big bad in it is the Undying Ones, who are a Mm -hmm. Doctor Strange villain uh, from, you know, some alternate reality or whatever. And uh, if I remember right, I believe they reappear in the first issue of the actual Defenders series. I think you're right. So there's, yeah, there's I, a ton. I, I don't. I don't know. You know the the story behind you choosing this uh, this particular issue to cover or not. But uh, I just recently, very recently, finished reading the first Essentials trade. So I've been on something of a of a Defenders kick lately, and. Uh, the two stories directly preceding this, the Submariner 34 and 35, you know, I never ever thought I'd ever say this in my entire life, but I want two issues of Submariner. I want these two issues. They were fantastic. They're both written by Roy Thomas, uh, and the ink, uh, the uh, art team, rather, is Salvi Sema on pencils and Jim Mooney on the inks, and uh, damn, it's a good story. It's essentially a Defender story. It's just the only thing that makes it not, a, you know, a true Defender story is they hadn't gotten the name yet. And I don't think Dr. Strange was in those stories. I think it was Hulk, Submariner, and Surfer, Surfer I believe. Doc Strange wasn't part of it. But the Avengers were in it, too. It's really good stuff, and the art's fantastic. Yeah, we, we differ on that because I, I actually enjoyed the Tales to Astonish Submariner and then the series that he had following that, which I know you're not a huge fan. But teach their own. This one, I remember when I first started buying comics, the first issue of the Defenders I bought was issue number 13, which we've covered quite some time ago. And uh, I, I was a fan of, of the team, the Defenders, and I remember buying this book. And I remember it was the second comic store relatively close to my house that had opened up. And I went in and I bought this for some ungodly amount of money. I think it was like five bucks. And uh, the thing I remember, and, and my two buddies, Paul and Rich, uh, we'll, we'll remember it too. Cause we've, we've laughed about it since. Cause the guy was just so obnoxious and he had the copy of the book and he, uh, it, you know, it was in good condition, but it wasn't flawless. And I remember him holding it in his hand and then like kind of running his, his other hand over the top of it and, and talking about, you know, the condition and why, why it was worth $5. And, and he used the term El Minto. And we just we've made fun of that ever since for however many years since then, but it's still you know it's bagged and boarded in my basement. So he did convince me to buy it. Anyway, the cover I believe is awesome by Neil Adams, which I didn't even realize, and inked by Sam Rosen. It shows the Hulk front and center jumping towards the reader with a fiery city scene behind him, and he's flanked on the left by the Submariner, who's in flight, also heading towards the reader, and Doctor Strange to his right. And he's apparently casting a spell. Story is titled "The Day of the Defenders." Well, he could be trying to hail a cab. He could or, be very. I think or he's just, rocking out. 
I thought he was telling someone he loves them. I don't know. That's <laughs> he was doing the Jimmy Superfly snooker. <laughs> Trying to shoot a webbing web line? I it's hard to tell. So the story's written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Ross Andrew, inked by Bill Everett, who is a classic Submariner artist, I believe, from the forties. Mm-hmm. I think he's the uh, creator of the Submariner. Actually, say, what, actually I believe that is him? true. Lettered by Sam Rosen and edited by Stan Lee. The splash page shows the Hulk and the Submariner facing off with Doctor Strange in the center. And in the background, there's Ditko-like space kind of things. And the face of our villain, Yandroth, who's an old Doctor Strange villain from Strange Tales. And considering we talk about the Undying Ones, who are a strange villain, the next issue has Dormammu. It shows you kind of, they were going with the Doctor Strange thing. Because at this point, he didn't have his own series. So it was easier to make him the focus of this because the Hulk and Submariner both did have their own series at this point. Story opens at Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum where Doctor Strange is sitting and hears his name being called, although his manservant Wong can't hear it. He follows the call in his astral form to the hospital where evil scientist Yandroth lives, or excuse me, lies in a bed, dying as a result of being hit by a truck. The, doctor, the doctors leave him to die in peace uh, rather than, like, maybe try and save his life or anything. But uh, Yandroth starts to speak to Strange because he's able to see him even in his astral form to Strange's surprise. He tells Strange how he came across a device called the Omegatron that will be activated upon his death and explode every nuclear stockpile on Earth. He then lapses into a coma. And Strange declares that he must be saved, so he uses his magic to influence the doctors to actually get off their fat asses and try and help. <laughs> During an operation that they conduct, I don't even know what they're doing, but, oh, you know what? we got to keep him alive. Let's operate on him. And uh, the doctor declares that he's dead and that the only ID they had for him was a mailing address in Maine. So it's time to head to New England, land of the hair metal hero. There he meets up with the Submariner and explains the problem to get him to help. They then consider recruiting the Silver Surfer, but he's busy flying full speed into Galactus's barrier like a moth into a window. Next they seek out the Hulk and Strange again goes into his astral form, but surprisingly his astral form isn't quite as secret as he thinks it is because the Hulk can also see him. Strange goads him into chasing him and finally all three of our heroes are together at last. They find the lighthouse where the Omegatron is located and separately approach it, dealing with its built-in defenses in their own way. Once inside, the Omegatron welcomes Strange to his surprise and explains that the raw force supplied by the Hulk and the Submariner is what's going to trigger the the, the atomic explosion. And as if on cue, the two of them burst through separate walls. Strange explains to them that they must not attack, but they think it's just an illusion created by the Omegatron and go to attack him. He uses the Eye of Agamotto to make them see each other as enemies, and that keeps them occupied while Strange casts a spell so that time will pass more slowly for the Omegatron, and it will take countless years for the explosion to occur. (laughs) As they part, Strange talks about them working together in the future, and the Hulk says, I don't think so, that he was in the Avengers once and did not like it. So he, he, as if in defiance of the Hulk's thoughts, uh, that's immediately followed up by telling us that the Defenders are going to be back next issue. <laughs> and uh, that's the end of the story. Yay. Domo arigato, I of agamato, domo, domo. 
And just just to, for the sake of completeness, the story, uh, the book also contains a 1940s Submariner story, the Submariner and the Icebergs, uh, which I don't think any of us read. And then there's a short story called The Return, because this this book takes place in between Doctor Strange's series that came from Strange Tales being canceled, and when he started to uh, headline Marvel premiere in his own series again. You know, yeah, I was just looking at that because I, I really don't know much about Doctor Strange. He's never been one of those characters I, I particularly cotton to. But yeah, I was looking here. I, I guess I didn't realize that Strange Tales became Doctor Strange for the last, what was it, about dozen issues or so. I never realized that before. So that ended with 183. See, everybody's, yeah, very, was... everybody's very familiar with the fact that... Uh, Tales to Astonish became the Hulk, and the Submariner was given his own series. Right. And Tales of Suspense became Captain America, and Iron Man was given his own series. Right. Same thing happened for Strange Tales. It it became Doctor Strange, and Nick Fury was given his own series. Oh, was that the co-feature in the book? Yeah. I couldn't remember if it was if it might have been um, uh, what's this, a Human Torch? Because I know that was he- before Nick before Nick Fury. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm looking at a, I don't know what the hell website this is, but I'm looking at a Doctor Strange chronology, and uh, yeah, he was he was essentially bookless. He was like um, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then around, right around the, according to this time, now I don't know if this is a publishing chronology or if this is a chronology of stories, but right around the time of Defenders number 14 um, is when Doctor Strange got his own his own series with a, a new number one and everything. So yeah, that, that came on. The I, heels, I never realized that that came on the heels of him headlining uh, Marvel premiere, which I think was from, I think it was, it started in issue five and it ran to issue 14 and then he was given his own series. Hmm. So it, it, Interesting. it's his own series started shortly after this, but when they had left off in the prior series, they had gone through a run of issues, about four or five of them where he, took on a masked, more superhero-like identity. You know, very similar to his own costume. Right. I'm sure you've seen an image where, where he's got kind of the blank face. Yeah, that was that was in, like, like Avengers, like, 64, 66, I think, mm-hmm. where they were fighting Ymir and uh, Sutor. Yes. Yeah. And and then he kind of went underground, and then there's a story here called The Return, in which, you know, he, he's basically, that persona has been taken on by Baron Modru, and... Uh, he has to defeat him and then kind of retake his identity. And then then they're done with the mask. That didn't last all that long. I think that briefly resurfaced not too long ago in current continuity. Uh, I don't know if it was something for the Illuminati or for World War Hulk. But there was something in the past, like, five, six years. I thought I remember seeing him back in the blue mask. They, they did a uh, – when Jeff Loeb was doing the Hulk, when they were doing the Red Hulk storyline, uh, they did the – I think it was the Defenders against the Offenders. Mm. And they plucked the Defenders out of time. And it was Doctor Strange and the Masked Persona. And the Submariner was plucked from just after Lady Dorma had died. So he was like a very bitter person in that one. Hmm. Uh, And I don't remember when the Hulk, what what period in time the Hulk was from. Did they take any future versions of them? No. Oh, so it wasn't like Avengers Forever where they kind of... Had a team comprised of past, present, and future Avengers. No, it, it was a Jeff Loeb, you know, knockdown battle type issue. There really wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of creativity to the time travel aspect of it. Mm, okay. 
But uh, just back back to the story. I I, I always really like this one, and and I I'm, I'm running the same potential problem that Charlie had. Uh, not that I think it influenced Charlie's opinion all that much, but I have the same nostalgic feelings towards this one that he was talking about with his. And I look at it, and I think there's a lot of things about the inking by Bill Everett that I shouldn't like, but I do anyway. There's there's a lot of kind of loose, scratchy feeling here. Scratchy, yeah. And I shouldn't like that. But much like the way I like it when Joe Kubert would draw with that scratchy style, I like it here as well. And it and it shouldn't. It's not the style that I generally go for. But I think it it I think it it played well off of Ross Andrews' pencils. I like the scratchiness in the astral form. Mm-hmm. I don't like the scratchiness on the Hulk. Well, the Hulk, the Hulk, he is almost looks who's, furry. He he's kind of drawn almost as a caricature. Like his face doesn't look right, and there's right. a couple of shots where it looks like he has kind of a pinhead. So yeah, I, I agree with you on the Hulk. I, I actually really like uh, on page four. It's it's a very sc- scratchy shot. The close up of Yandroth's face. I don't know. It just looks very moody to me, and and I like. Oh, where he's got the bandage on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, see, that's okay. I I don't really have a big problem with that. It's just that the, I didn't really like the way the Hulk looked. But in some of the other, like showing somebody that's on death's door, yeah, the, I think the scratchiness looks good. Makes him look more like a corpse. But but for the most part, with the exception of the Hulk, I I like the artwork in this book. I, I was fond of it. I think the story is kind of cool. Just kind of a cool premise. You know, I don't know why you just don't set off the explosion to begin with. You know, why, why you have to have this whole elaborate plan and scheme that you have to have the Hulk and Submariner set it off or whatever. But whatever. Because he's, he's a villain. That's why. Yeah. He did it because science. Yeah. Well, Yandroth, he's the one that later on, I mean, he's always been a foe of the Defenders. Well, and he's a good Even though he died here. <laughs> yeah, but he comes back because. <laughs> he, got he got better. better. Yeah. No, when they re, uh, I, he comes back in the regular Defenders book, doesn't he? I don't think he does. I don't think he comes Who's that? back. Well, think, because he came back in the in the. I think he came back in volume two. Who yeah. are you asking about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't. I, I, I know that Omegatron yeah. does. I, I think I think it was in volume two. I don't think he comes back in the regular series, the initial Defenders series. I could be wrong about that. And I think it's something where he puts some kind of curse on them right? that right. forces them to work together even though they hate each other. But I think that's in volume two. Really? I thought it was before that. Hmm. Which I think is an Eric Larson volume. Yeah, and then they become the Order after that. That's when they create the group called the Order, when they decide if they're forced to work together, then they, they kind of went wacko and decided they were going to control the world, right? I never read the Order, so that one I can't say. Yeah. I actually found that when I was sorting my books that I had the order. I was like, oh, yeah. Look at that. And and not the one that spun out of the initiative. That was a different comic called The Order. That was the California-based initiative, uh, Avengers initiative group was called The Order. And I've stopped the show. Yeah, you did. You put a, you put a, the whole thing to – it's gone. Forget it. Good night, folks. Now, what what'd you, what'd you guys <laughs> think of talk. I like the story. Um, other than the, like Bill said, other than going through all the elaborateness of the big machine thing and having to trick the heroes into being the cause of the destruction or whatever. But yeah, I really like the story. The, from what I can see of the art, um, I like the Andrews part of it. Um, unfortunately I'm not as forgiving about the 
uh, scratches for the inking as you guys. Although I do like, like Bill said, I liked it for the astral form, but everything else, it just looked like he was sketching. It's just weird. But yeah, other than that, um, you know, the, like I said, the art, art's pretty good, except for the inking. The inking kind of sucks. And I really do like the story. So that's, that's, that's me. Next. <laughs> uh, the cover. Everyone um, jump in at once. We're not rating yet. Oh, I thought just we were. You, just give impressions. No rating. Well, here's my Arnold impression. Oh, wait, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> What'd you think, Scott? What did you walk away? No, no, I'm here. Um, you know what? This is a, this is a weird one because this is the one where where the team formally comes together. They get their name and and all of that. So it, it's very important and it's very formulative in the history of the team. It's just, it's not one of my more favorite chapters of their story, necessarily. Um, I, I completely agree with you on the art. I shouldn't really like it. It's it's not really... Well, I mean, I do like Ross Andrew. I, I, I really have a, a soft spot for Ross Andrew um, for his Superman material and everything. But, I mean, I like the guy as an artist. Um, the Bill Everett inks, I really should hate, and I don't. Somehow, it, it works because... Even though, you know, this book has, you know, Submariner and the Hulk and eventually, um, you know, the other heroes it would get and everything with Silver Surfer and the Silver Silver Surfer has a minor cameo in the book. I still tend to think of the Defenders as a Doctor Strange book. You know, it, it often, very often had this this magical element. So they operated more in Strange's world than anybody else's world, at least in the stories I've been exposed to of the Defenders. So somehow this art style really works because it evokes Strange's world to me. But I completely agree with you. The the one area of the art that just doesn't work for me is the Hulk. And, you know, I don't want to be overly harsh about it because the Hulk frequently in this era doesn't work for me because th- this is a perfect illustration of why is that frequently, you know, here the Hulk is supposed to be this big, massive, muscle-bound powerhouse, and often he just looks like a big, green, fat tub of shit. You know, he's just this big, fat, green guy. And, you know, the perfect (laughs) illustration of that is page 13, last panel. That does not look like a big, muscle-bound guy. It looks like a big, fat guy about to go, you know, take a dump or something. He just... I don't like the way the Hulk was illustrated back then. Very frequently, he just look tubby to me so you know it's just kind of a sign of the times he i was gonna i was so tempted to say he's off model but for this particular era of the hulk he's he's not really his face kind of is but his body really honestly isn't he was often depicted kind of this way so i don't like how the hulk looks but you know he's not really any worse than any other depiction of the hulk from from this particular time um Submariner looks a little bit weird, but only because Everett is very much inking him in kind of his golden age style, you know, with the squinty eyes and the big sweeping like Spock eyebrows and all that. (laughs) The story, though, uh, you know, it's kind of stupid. And, you know, I'm not trying to be overly harsh about it, but it, it, you know, it gets the characters from point A to point B, but it does a lot of silly things along the way. The, the overall plot's a little silly. 
Um, although the idea of this guy, you know, being such an egomaniac that when he dies, he wants the world to die with him. That that's kind of an interesting, you know, he has an interesting quote here. At one point, he, he says something to the effect of it's every man's dream trying to find where the hell he says this. And I just thought it was a really weird for him. This, you know, thing. Oh, here it is. Uh, page five towards the end. He says, every man wants the world to end when he dies. And I thought, Really? Because I've never met any other man that seemed to have that desire unless they just oh, no, no, never verbalized it. But... No, that's that's what I want. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're a selfish, oh. selfish man. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, no, I, I'm, I'm actually being good to the world because it shouldn't people shouldn't have to go on and be deprived of me. <laughs> oh, God. He's older than all of us. We're doomed. Oh, yeah. yeah I've, I've lived this long. You can't expect me to go anytime soon. <laughs> I do think it's funny that the only reason that uh, the Silver Surfer can't be part of the story is because they witness him knock himself silly. Yeah, <laughs> like, I was amused by that, too. <laughs> Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. But every time I've read this story, the, the one part that I can't get past is where they finally get inside the building and Omegatron is like, ha ha ha, I've tricked you that, you know, because you've got these two Titans, he says, this clash of the Titans... Uh, will soon feed my circuits the power they need to detonate these. You know, how in the hell could they, you know, the what was the guy's name? Yardarth or whatever his name yeah, was. How could he possibly plan for this? What if Doctor Strange had managed to sneak into the building with Ant-Man and the Wasp? Then this plan goes to <laughs> shit, you know? So how how could he possibly have planned for that, that it would happen to be two of the most powerful members of the Marvel Universe of of this time? Maybe he read those issues of the Submariner. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. You know, I will give it. Uh, I will cut it a lot of slack though, because Omegatron, besides having a really cool name, I wish he transformed into like a tape deck or something. But you know, besides having a really cool name, he very strongly reminds me of um, Box from Logan's Run. He's like half Box from Logan's Run, and like half uh, shaper of worlds. So I think he's kind of cool. I, I like his look. And we do see him again because this whole thing with uh, how Strange defeats him in this issue would end up becoming a subplot in like the first five or six issues of the Defender's title proper. And then they would end up having to face him again, I think, in issue... I want to say it's like issue number six, I think, where they kind of have to deal with him once and for all because all Strange really did in this is kind of just just delay the clock but the clock was still running that was the thing that walking yeah. away from this the first time i read it was like you didn't really win you didn't really stop the menace all you did was slow the clock down but it's still going to happen at some point and i, I like Countless that this years later yeah but still yeah, i was gonna ask you, know. you guys about that because well if you could cast a spell to slow time you can't cast a spell to stop time yeah just saying or, or just turn off the machine well, that's why. <laughs> wait, wait, strange. Why would you stop time? I just unplugged the plug it. out of the wall. Yeah, exactly. I didn't understand that. So, wait, look. No, there's a cord right here. No, I have to cast a spell. Stand back. No, there's a plug right there's here. A switch right here that says on and off. <laughs> <laughs> just call up Con Ed and tell him to shut the power down to the whole area till you figure shut it all out. down. Lose <laughs> the grid. Lose your job. <laughs> Aha, what movie is that from? Ghostbusters. No. Oh, no, no, Die Hard. Die Hard. Thank you. But it's the same guy. It's still Peck. 
Well, yeah, the same guys in both movies, but that's not the guy that says that. That's the FBI agents with Johnson and Johnson. Wait, yep, no relation. <laughs> lose the grid or lose your job. And Rick Dukeman was the guy in the hole who died of complications due to diabetes. <sighs> anyway, now that I brought Wilford it, Wilford Brimley old. couldn't do anything for him. That's nope. bullshit. Diabetes. <laughs> See, that's the thing because it was diabetes and. Brimley's diabetes, so it's completely different. <laughs> That's true. It's very true. Maybe Doctor Strange could put a spell on diabetes for me. There you go. Don't care. It just just slow everything down for me. Make me move slower than I already do. Slow. You know they had all those those promotional comics back in the day, you know, like Captain America versus drugs and Spider Man versus tooth decay. Why didn't they ever have one that you know, like Doctor Strange beats the Beatus or something like that? Would be nice. <laughs> Love that. So, Modoc. Modoc like versus diabetes. <laughs> Hi, I'm Louis Anderson. For, I'm Modoc. Guest starring the blob. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> they should have an issue where they have to remove like the, one of the blob's toes. Oh. <laughs> hey, that's not funny. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's right, it's funny because it's true. I still got all my toes. For now, for now, for now. Anyway, I guess I'm going to rate this. I am giving the cover an A plus. I think this is an awesome cover. I didn't even realize it was Neil Adams until today when I looked it up. I, I I thought, and I thought it was inked by Romita. I didn't know who drew it, but I thought it was inked by Romita. And I was who's it inked by again? Sam Rosen. Oh wow, who's the letterer in the issue? Right, yeah. That's or at least that's that's inker. who's credited, and he's credited on Mike's Amazing World and the Marvel Comics database. So I assume it's correct. I would like to think that I would have ciphered out that it was Neil Adams if if someone had asked me, but I don't know that I would have. The only reason I knew it was Adams is because he had reprints of this um, at Tampa Bay Comic Con. Oh, see, I, I would Bill not. I were there. The three major figures. The only one who I'm who I that like jumps out at me that I say oh, I could have recognized that as possible Neil Adams is the figure all the way at the right bottom corner that looks like a Neil Adams drawing right there. The <laughs> yeah, guy I running think... the guy running underneath yeah. Doctor Strange's cape. Well that that background to me looks like a like a fairly classic uh Neil Adams background. But from the three major heroes I would not have picked it out as Neil Adams, but I think it's excellent. I, I really can... think it's just a great cover. It's dynamic. It's it's you know, clearly they were focusing on the Hulk in this series. He was their their big draw, and uh, it just it, to me it screams out by me. Yeah, the, well, this, I mean, your your classic definition of an A plus cover was iconic. This is iconic. Yeah, exactly. So I'm giving it an A plus on the on the on the cover. The interior art, uh, I I really like Ross Andrew, and surprisingly, I think Bill Everett compliments him well here, uh, even though we. I think we'll we'll hear some differing opinions on that. Uh, I do have to take a little bit off for the Hulk because I think he's poorly drawn in here. Uh, but other than that, I really like the art. So I'm going to say a B on the interior art. Story is a little silly. I, I kind of like the ironic twist that not only is the world going to blow up, but we're going to make you use your own power against it, even though you couldn't possibly have predicted that this is how we were going to come in here. Uh it, it's got some holes in it. It's a little wonky, but I, I kind of like it just the same. So I'm going to say a B minus on the story and give the give the book a, a B plus overall. I'll go next. Uh, completely agree with you on the cover. That is a total A plus cover. I really, really like that cover. 
And it's weird because it has two of my least favorite Marvel characters on it, and I still think it's an A-plus cover. So kudos to the artist on that. Um, the Defenders is a weird book for me because I'm really getting into it um, as I'm w- making my way through the essentials. And I'm not even sure what what really spawned me to want to read it other than, the, you know, I, I picked up the, the trades real cheap. I think I picked these up for like five bucks a piece. And it's one of those books I've always been very curious about, even though it's largely peppered with characters I don't honestly care much about beyond the Hulk himself. Uh, But strangely, it's been very compelling. I've really been enjoying what I'm reading. Um, This story, though, I don't know, uh, of the kind of like the lead up to Defenders number one stories that I've read so far, this one to me was kind of the weak link in the chain even though it's arguably the most important one because this is when the team is formally formed. So it's, it's kind of a weird thing. Um, the interior art is so weird because I really like Ross Andrew. I'm not real crazy about Bill Everett, yet somehow his inks really work. But again, it's that thing with the Hulk. That That's really honestly the only real stumbling block in the art for me. It, it's an art style I shouldn't like. It's a teaming I shouldn't like. Yet, strangely, eh, it actually works pretty well. Uh, but the Hulk drags it down a bit. So I'm going to say, uh, probably say like a B minus, I think I would give it on the on the art. Um, definitely some room for, for improvement, um, but not not bad. And then the, the story, ugh, um think i'll go uh actually i think i'd go similarly i think i'd go a b minus on the story as well it's not my favorite pre-defenders defenders chapter if you know what i mean but it's not bad it's just some of the sillier aspects of you know the booby trap building and you know how could he possibly predict you know all that stuff we already discussed kind of you know it's kind of just a trope of comics of this time but I don't know, maybe it's not fair, but I always expect a little bit more of Marvel comics from this time period as I would opposed to, say, like a DC. DCs I'm probably more, you know, I'm usually more lenient on from this era because they tended to just by their very nature be a little bit sillier and a little more kiddy. They didn't really worry so much about the nuts and bolts of the mechanics of things because they figured they were writing for eight-year-old kids and usually not the brightest eight-year-old kids, whereas Marvel kind of touted themselves as being you know for the more intelligent reader and kind of the older reader so when they do stuff like this where it's it is a little dc if if you know what i mean then i'm not quite as forgiving of it because yeah some of the mechanics are a little bit of a stretch but overall i mean it's still fun at the end of the day it was still a fun read so i think that averages out to about a b so that ain't bad but yeah i i got a kick out of it and it's kept me reading that's all i got all right, well, I'll, I'll 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 go. Okay, again, like you guys said, A plus on the cover. Um, it just looks. I mean, the art is great. The coloring is great. Um, Sam Rosen does fantastic inking Neil Adams if he did do that, because uh, it looks fantastic. I'm sorry, Scott doesn't like the two people at the bo- the two characters the guy running under what's his name's cape and i guess the guy pointing at the light pole i'm sorry um that's gonna follow me (laughs) 
but uh, yeah, the, the cover, the the cover. This makes me think of some of those late Silver Age Superman issues for a little bit, though, because it's like you have an awesome Neil Adams cover, and then the interior art just doesn't match. <laughs> yeah. But um, nothing against Ross Andrew. I do like Ross Andrew. I like his later stuff, like seventies and kind of early eighties, like when he was doing some of the, a lot of the cover art on DC Comics. Um. The inking, I just think, is dreadful. <laughs> no offense. The um, I have to say, a lot of t- a lot of it looks like he was sitting on the back of a bus and um, was trying to ink it while bouncing around. And it, like I said, <laughs> so <laughs> like I said, it works on the astral form, but it just doesn't work on the actual solid characters to me. Um, the story, I. You know, I'm I'm forgetting the grades. Uh, the, so the art, I'm going to say, well, the like I said, the Andrew stuff is really good, is pretty good. Uh, the inks suck, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go see on the art uh, overall. And for the story, I would probably go with a B. It it is silly, um, but as a DC guy, I'm kind of used to that. And uh, I I. I don't know. I, I was highly entertained by it as someone that, if you count this story, has only ever read one Defender story. So, I yeah, I enjoyed it. So I'm going to go with a B on the story. So I guess that's overall what a B minus. It's an F. Yeah, F. <laughs> this thing just fails. Is this the Common Core alphabet? What are you talking about? <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> um, cover. Yeah, this you know. I didn't realize this was Neil Adams either. I, I don't remember seeing this at the show when, when we went um, in his selection of um, stuff that he was uh, hawking. Cause I, probably because I was too busy looking at his drawings of the Walking Dead characters. Right. Which were awesome! But, um, yeah, this is this is the, you know, going by the by the definition, would this get me to buy it? Yeah, I, I would pick this up. Ooh, everybody all right? What was that? <laughs> My chair creaking. Wow. <laughs> Oh, is that what that was? I thought it was. Well, that's your... what I'm going to say. It was. <laughs> it was your knees and your bones, Yandroth, Paul Droth, the Undying. Yeah, but I'm taking you with me. You'll all go down. The two of you'll be crashing into my house. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah, we could crash in in a basement and sleep, right? Right? Right, Scott? Or at least I'll sleep. Nothing. Hey, what? I said, yeah, we could we could crash in the basement and sleep at Paul's house, just like last time, uh, where I no. got to sleep and you didn't. No, 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 no. Which, while I was on vacation up in Ohio, my wife, my son, and my daughter, we all slept in the same room. They're separate beds. But um, it was, uh, my wife said about halfway through, she's like, you know, you're snoring. I have just two words for it. Oppressive and debilitating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, for me she's like no for me <laughs> she's like i can't believe i was like wow you probably have a lot in common with scott gardner <laughs> so anyway uh nothing that a good set of earplugs wouldn't help or a or a, a pillow over the face <laughs> with i was just gonna say a, maybe a gasoline soaked rag and some duct tape over my yeah. mouth you know, you know, you, I, you, you know you I came downstairs like i thought you two were the the big indian and jack nicholson <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you should really consider yourself quite honored, Bill, because it had been a long time since I had 
seriously considered homicide in the middle of the night, and uh, and I really did because I needed to sleep, dude. I thought you could save it a long time since you slept with another man. <laughs> well, that too, but we don't talk about that. Oh, sh- 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 <laughs> so this I is I know my story is horrible. This anyway. is one of the few times I'm glad that I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I'm going to give the cover an A just to keep us moving along now that I sidetracked it, uh, us enough. And um, the interior art, um, yeah, I think I like, like I said earlier, I like some of the scratchiness in certain places, but not in others, specific, specifically the Hulk. Um, it's not too bad on the regular panels with re- regular things that are happening. I'm still going to give it probably a C plus, B minus for the interior art. And the story, I mean, it's nice that this will get a callback way down the road. Um, um, but it is kind of silly with the whole intricate plot. So because of that, I think I'm going to give it a C. So that, you know, A, B, and C, I guess it comes out to a B for for nobody that's in this book. <laughs> comes out with a B for Defenders. <laughs> Good job, Bill. Just like high school all over again. <laughs> You get a star. <laughs> I get it. I'm like the Submariner. I knock myself out. I do it myself. That was a Silver Surfer. That's yeah, Silver Surfer. <laughs> oh, what did I say? Submariner. Submariner. Oh, I think he said D-Man. I'm tired. He's sleepy. <laughs> All right. Well, then you go. Submariner should have had a surfboard for no good reason. This he could have been the Surf Mariner. <laughs> <laughs> That's so stupid. It's funny. <laughs> It's so stupid, it's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. So, Charlie, thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. Oh, wait, and, I, I oh. got to say this. Sorry, Charlie. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh! If I had a nickel for every time I heard that, yeah, that and danger, danger, Will Robinson. I'm right there with you. Yeah, but the difference is you didn't go. Sorry, Charlie. Oh, ha ha! ha. I just caught that. So thank you for that. <laughs> oh, I knew exactly what I was doing, and I knew it was a bad pun to begin with. But you know, as but hey, but feel good because as you get older. People, mm-hmm. less people will do it because they won't get it. Because I've said my name to people, and I'm like, "Yeah, Bill Robinson, Will Robinson," and I go, "Danger, danger!" And they look at me and go, "What?" <laughs> did uh, do, do people come over and like sing the song for the perfume, Charlie? Oh no! Thank you haven't God. gotten that one. No. 
There's a fragrance that comes your way, and they call it Charlie. You don't remember that one? Oh, my God. Kind of wow, Charlie. Kind of hip, kind of now, Charlie. I've never even heard of it. What was that? You may want to look it up on YouTube. I'm sure it's available. Okay. There's a fragrance that's here to stay. They call it Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) I may have to open the show with the actual recording of that. I was going to say, you've got, well, keep that. Keep your version. That's that's better. There's a podcaster, and he's on our show, and he's here now. Charlie. <laughs> that, this, could, this, could, this could be your new theme for your podcast. We could sing it for you. We could. I will need the audio, and that's what, yeah, that's what it's going to be. <laughs> All right, now before we hang, before we hang this up, I got to look for it on YouTube. <laughs> I hope you find it's, it. It's got to be there. Didn't they have one of the chicks that used to be Charlie's Angels was the spokesperson? I think, yeah, Shelly Hack. Yeah. Uh, huh. Here it is. Uh, Revlon Ed, Revlon Charlie Ed with Shelly Hack and Bobby Short. All right, put it in the thing. Hold on. Let me just see if it's, if it's what I think. There you go. I think there you I'm go. just that... going to put that on my phone, and then whenever I walk into a room, <laughs> just play it. <laughs> I think that'd be fun. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs>